Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Hello, welcome to episode 54 of the PHP Town Hall podcast. Uh, you have myself, Ben Edmonds, here with Amanda Folsom. We are joined by a whole panel of cool people tonight to uh, talk about conferences and organizing and, and things like that. Uh, so I'll go through and do some intros. So, you know, I'll just call your name and give us a little bit about what conference you're doing, uh, a little bit about yourself, things like that. I'm going to go in the order as I see people on my screen. So we'll start with you, Daniel Kuzina. Uh, yeah. Uh, name is Daniel Kuzina. You got that correct. I'm very happy for that. Uh, I used to run uh, Lone Star PHP for seven years, and we have since retired that, and I have now been spending this in the last year helping co-organize the Empire JS now Empire Comp uh, up here in New York City doing JavaScript things. All right. Uh, next up, Ian Littman. Ian? All right. He looks kind of frozen. <laughs> next up, Matthew Trask. Hey, yeah, you got my name right, too, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I'm organizing Southeast PHP, um, taking place next year here in Nashville, Tennessee. We actually have four big conferences coming to Nashville, so if you can't make it to ours, we hope to see you at one of the other big three. Awesome. And uh, Tracy Hines. All right. I am helping organize Empire. So I help, I run a nonprofit outside of work as a hobby um, that helps support community conferences, especially in the JavaScript world. Uh, and Empire Conf is the one that we are most actively working on right now, along with Dan. Cool. Uh, and Ian Littman. Hi there. Um, you got the name right there, too. Uh, so I'm out I'm here. I'm professional. Why are you all surprised by this? Come on. So I'm out here in Austin, Texas. And uh, when we found out that Lone Star was uh, going to have its last year in 2017, uh, myself and a couple other folks uh, here in Austin PHP said, well, we, we could kind of pick up where they left off, I guess. So um, we announced earlier today the dates uh, and venue and all that fun stuff and the Kickstarter for Longhorn PHP uh, here in Austin. Woo. All right. Uh, where do we want to kick this off, Amanda? Uh, I guess let's, let's start with kind of where everybody is in their process because uh, we, we have a group of people here who are in various stages of, of events. Some people have organized several some people are just getting things off the ground so i'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about what people are doing and uh, actually how you even kind of got into organizing a conference um i know ian you touched on it a little bit but i'd love to hear more of that that backstory in particular um so actually yeah uh, since you you're already talking uh i'd love to hear from you sure so um yeah like i said back i guess this was january or february maybe even earlier than that um, I guess it was February or so that uh, Lone Star 
uh, made it clear that this was that they were going to go out on the high note and say, "Hey, we've got everything uh, you know planned out, and we figured out how to uh, do a really solid uh, PHP community conference uh, in North Texas." So this is going to be the last year. Um, so we kind of went back and forth, figured out, okay, here's why they're doing that. Okay, reasons are reasonable. Um, but uh, a group of us at uh, Austin PHP were like, well, we, we want to keep on uh, with a PHP conference community focused in this region. And with the exit of uh, Lone Star, this being its last year, um, there really isn't anything uh, in the immediate vicinity. So you know, we, we started talking through things. Uh, there were about five of us at, at the time and then um, ended up with a core group of four organizers, uh, one of whom has actually um, helped organize the last year or two, maybe more, uh, Lone Star uh, Application Security Conference. Uh, here in Austin. So we have a mix of uh, mainly uh, rookies who this is the uh, first conference that uh, they're organizing, myself included, uh, and uh, one person who's this is not their first uh, go around, but a community PHP conference is maybe a little bit different than uh, something that OWASP puts on. So uh, it's it's been interesting kind of feeling our way through that. Fortunately, there are, this is not a brand new sort of thing. It's just a matter of deciding, okay, uh, which pieces of other community conferences do we like enough to beg, borrow, and steal to make our own to turn this uh, into a reality? Um, so, for example, um, uh, Pacific Northwest uh, PHP up in Seattle, which is in a few weeks, um, they were the first conference on the community side that I know of that actually launched via Kickstarter. And between the promotion and the transparency aspects and that sort of thing, uh, we decided that that would be a solid way to go to at least start getting the ball rolling. Um, so we kind of took that as one inspiration. Um, for Lone Star, uh, we took a few things such as uh, the multi-track format um, and with the other uh, community PHP conferences, we're doing the usual kind of Friday, Saturday for the conference and um, really hoping that we'll have enough um, interest that we'll actually have uh, Thursday tutorials as well. We are not uh, shooting for downtown because, uh, well, hotels are ridiculously expensive and that speaker hotels are ridiculously expensive. So uh, kind of to the kind of similar to Lone Star, we're, in the area, but not right downtown, which there are pluses and minuses to that. Hopefully we're, we're making the correct decision here um, and allowing ourselves to put on a conference that uh, we're not sitting there. It's like, well, we just had to put down 50 grand uh, as a minimum for food. And that gives us the space, but now we have all these rooms to sell and all that sort of things. Like, well, first year conference, you don't want to buy it off more than you can choose. So, going through those steps to secure a venue to uh, to figure out format and that sort of thing has it's been interesting and uh, we're just getting started but uh, it, it's exciting and is a fair amount of work and will continue to be but it, it should yeah for sure cool uh, so just real quick who all is organizing the conference with you uh, so it's uh, Blake Gardner 
um, Logan Linguist, and uh, Daniel Abernathy. So D Abernathy eighty nine, uh, Blake RG and LLBBL on Twitter. Um, okay. Logan and Blake uh, also help run uh, the Austin PHP meetup. I'm also on the organizing team to that uh, to some extent. Okay, awesome. Um, how about you, Tracy? Uh, I don't think we've ever spoken before, so I'd actually love to hear kind of how you got involved in all of this stuff. Yeah, so I got involved in organizing in general when I was a junior engineer wanting to feel useful. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, fair. yeah, I was working as a JavaScript engineer by day, but I had just switched over from Python and I had uh, no idea what I was doing and I was also learning Node. Um, so it was just very big context switch and I was really frustrated with feeling really uh that I was being a burden instead of helping it work, which is what I like to do. So uh, I attended a meetup and uh, the meetup was uh, new, but really disorganized. And uh, one of the organizers there was really friendly. And after the meetup, I was like, hey, you know, like offering ideas about what I'd like to see happen with the meetup. And he's like, oh, you should just help us. Like, we don't have enough help. So you should just help us organize. And I was just like, Okay, great. Ah, well and old, yes. <laughs> so they, they had no idea what they were asking for. So I ran with it and um, I ended up learning, you know, about, you know, raising sponsorships, even from the meetup scale and building community, helping find speakers every month, which is like such a thing to have to learn how to network and build up. Um, yeah. And also seeing the behavior of how people, who volunteers to speak versus like, who should be speaking um, and sort of seeing that profile so that you can always have like a high quality speaker, but also like a range of topics and, and people. Um, and then uh, as part of that group, I ran a node bots because uh, in node, we have this awesome thing that you can make uh, lights blink with node. And uh, as part of that international day, which was like this thing that people were doing around the world, but very um, ground level, uh, I ended up, making it a really big deal and getting like a decent amount of sponsorships and someone who ran Cascadia, Carter Rabasa, uh, out of Seattle, uh, cause that was Portland at the time had been attending the event. He was just like, who is this person who's like madly running around and very organized <laughs> and did all of these things when she didn't have to. Um, and so after I helped organize a hacker train to his conference in the fall, he asked me, he just called me one day and was like, what would you think about like taking over running this conference next year? Cause he had been, yeah, well he was, and he was like, he had a full day job and he was, I think running another um, like side startup event thing um, outside of that. So he was really bandwidth wise was out of it. And so that was really exciting. Uh, so I ran that of course, and you know, jumped into all the spreadsheeting uh, and uh, and then from there, I just kept meeting people. And from Cascadia came Empire JS and Empire Node. And uh, and from the New York communities, when I moved, I got to meet Dan. Uh, and our organizing teams have rotated a bit over the years, but it's a really good group of people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Um, so I guess Dan, you're probably the uh, next logical step. So love to kind of hear how you got involved and and what you're doing. Uh, yeah. So I. Uh, went to school back at uh, Texas A&M, and even when I was still in school, I was getting involved in um, the Refresh BCS group and the Agile BCS group, and I was starting to attend meetups and 
kind of these meetups are like six total people on a good day kind of meet up. Um, but I got really interested in that. And I remember um, uh, one Christmas, basically, I, like Christmas, birthday, present, whatever. Uh, I asked my parents, I got a ticket to ZenCon 08. Um, wow. Very, Wait, as, a, as a present for your parents? Yeah, I was like, hey, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, sure, great. So I went out there and I was like, oh man, this is this is really cool, which uh, uh, just goes to show you, like I had never been to anything like that. I walked into the Zencon, like, this is amazing. Um, and I applied to speak the next year and they accepted me. I'm like, oh, this is great. I don't know why in the world they would pick me to speak, but uh, this is great. And I started speaking at conferences originally just because I really wanted to go to conferences, but I couldn't afford to go. And when you spoke, they paid for you to go, which is a lot easier than trying to convince people to pay for you to go. Um, around that time, I had gotten to know, um, I can't remember, like, I think I remember meeting uh, Omni back when he was still living in California at one of the ZenCons, and I met Chris and Jake. Uh, Omni would become a co-organizer of Lone Star after our first couple of years. And then I met Chris and Jake uh, through that same group. And they were up in Dallas and I was in College Station. I'm like, oh, so I started going up and speaking at the Dallas PHP meetups. And this such a big meetup. There was like 18 to 20 people there. It's huge. Um, <laughs> it's enormous. And, and I, you know, I have, I have a long history of being a Boy Scout. So it tends to be like, oh, there's people doing work? Yeah, no, I'll go help out um, because I don't believe in rest or relaxation. Um, but no, I started uh, volunteering with them, and technically the very first uh, Lone Star I spoke at, but I didn't actually fully organize. But I hung out a lot with Chad and Chris, and I helped them with a, a few things, setting up and tearing down. Um, and around that time, they're like, hey, you want to come on and help? Like, I had just started, uh, around that time, I had just started helping them organize Dallas PHP, and then they're like, hey you know, come on full time. And then I became the third co-organizer of Lone Star. We did that for a couple of years. And then after a couple of years, we realized this is way too much work for three people. And we brought on uh, Bobby and Jason and Bob um, and kind of kept it going from there. And then about three years ago, started working for a company that relocated me to New York City. So I moved up here and I started doing things remotely. And literally within my the, like the fourth month I was living in New York City, I went to a uh, Brooklyn JS, which is a notorious meetup. It's about a hundred some odd people every month. Tickets sell out in under thirty seconds, wow. and they're like fifteen dollars uh, that gets donated to charity. But it's like fifteen dollars a ticket, and I managed to snag and show up to one. I'm like, oh, this is in absolutely incredible. Started talking to the organizer. I'm like, I'd love to help. He's like, we don't really need the help right now, but uh, I ended up. Co-founding and co-organizing Queens JS was kind of a satellite of uh, Brooklyn JS um, and Manhattan JS, and through there, uh, that same first year, I went to speak at Empire JS in I think it was 2014, um, and then in my same fashion, I see people doing work, and I basically walk up to Tracy and be like, "Hey, I've done this conference organizing thing before. I'd love to help out." And so now I've got another conference on my books to keep me busy. So. <laughs> No, that's great. Um, Matt, what are you doing? Yeah, so um, we are bringing a community conference back to Nashville uh, for anyone who's old enough, which is not me. Uh, you'll remember uh, Mr. PHP Community himself, Ben Ramsey, was running a PHP Community Conf here in Nashville. Um, I want to say 2002, but I was still in high school. Yeah, kind of yeah I've not even heard of that. 
How yeah. old PHP, is PHP ComCon. <laughs> PHP ComCon is the reason why we started Lodestar. Because he wasn't running them anymore and he wanted it. Yeah. So, like, the whole reason I started a community conference was because I was drunk and depressed after Lone Star. So I was like, this is great and it's not going to be here anymore. And um, no offense to Sunshine PHP, which I love, but it's expensive and Lone Star was super affordable. So I was like, what can I do? And so um, I came back here and rounded up a friend from our user group who also helps organize National PHP with me, uh, Marcus Fulbright. And I was like, let's do a conference. And so we sat around for a little while. We're like, we need a name. And I went to Ben Ramsey, who previously told me he wants to organize a conference, but I was too drunk to remember that. So I was like, hey, Ben, I need one of your domain names to uh, run a conference. He's like, which one? PHP Appalachia. He's like, you can't use that one. There's too much, too much baggage uh, <clears throat> associated with that. But he's like, he's like, more importantly, why didn't you tell me you're doing a conference and how can I help? And so uh, that's our organizing team is Ben Ramsey. Um, Marcus Fulbright and myself. We had one more, D. Wilcox, uh, but unfortunately, life got in the way because when you have children and you're a full-time developer, things take precedence. So, um, unfortunately, we're down one organizer right now. Um, but so, you know, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. We're kind of leaning on Ben right now as our mentor, as our, our friend who's, who knows what's going on. Um, but we also all run Nashville PHP, too. So, we're all constantly throwing ideas around, talking about it. Um, and we've gotten a really good response from the community. Um, I've had people from all over the country reach out and say, hey, any help I can give you, um, let me know. And I'm like blown away by the community spirit of the PHP community, which just reaffirms why I love it so much. Um, and like Ian said, you know, we're kind of begging and borrowing and stealing ideas to the multi-track system. Um, we, haven't, we, we haven't talked about a Kickstarter yet, but we're hitting up sponsors. We're lining up our venue right now. Um, and we'll be getting our CFP up and running early next year. So that's kind of where we are as a conference. Awesome. Okay, cool. Sorry, did someone have something? No. Oh, okay. Phantom sounds. Um, yeah, so let, let's kind of dive into the whole venue thing, because I feel like a lot of people struggle to find venues, and particularly, you know, venues that'll hold enough people that are also not breaking the bank. Uh, so I'd love to hear people's approaches to that and kind of what you look for and what, goes into that whole thought process of, of finding a venue. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of open-ended. Something interesting to me is, like, why did you pick it? Were you working for a certain size just, or looking for a certain style? Because it feels like, in kind of an indirect way, it sets a tone for the conference. Because I've definitely been to some that are just harmed by feeling too corporate or too, I don't know, just not fitting with the vibe of the conference. So what are, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in your thoughts. I mean, I guess um, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to strike a nice balance between Sunshine and Lone Star. Uh, with Sunshine, I love the hotel conference all incorporated in one um, venue. So that way, no one has to drive anywhere. No one has to worry about transportation. It's all the hardest thing you have to do is wait for an elevator. Um, but at the same time, I feel like Lone Star is a little bit more of a smaller venue. Um, and it was a little bit more intimate, a little bit more kind of. I don't want to say forced, but it really helped everyone get to know each other better, uh, which is something I personally really loved about that conference. Um, with Nashville, you know, I mean, we're supposedly the music city of the world. So we are looking at um, record label buildings as locations. Um, that's awesome. BMI, BMI being like the big one, that's the one we're kind of looking at. But, you know, I mean, price is a thing. So. We are trying to incorporate the vibes of Nashville music, keep it near Broadway so you can see all the lights and you can go out if you want to. We're not trying to keep anyone at the 
at the venues, but um, at the same time, finding something that's like price friendly is a pain. Yeah, New York's oh, yeah. really bad for that. <laughs> um, we we have an interesting so like format wise, we have some restriction as well because we're single track, so we don't have to aim for somewhere that we need multiple spaces that are you know stage worthy um but like for instance we like to offer workshops so you need breakout spaces and that's incredibly challenging in new york city um this year we tried to do a three-day instead of a two-day and even with six months out or more um i think it was even earlier uh there's just no venues available forget price range there's just no venues available wow. three day blocks together you have to go at least a year out um like we're constantly losing out to like tribeca film festival trying to take over every affordable space in the city and all of those hip warehouses in brooklyn have been turned into fancy condos so like those don't exist even to be able to try and do like a raw space for a conference so it's basically like can we get like the cheapest venue possible and still have a theater setting because we like to have a theater setting for our developers because they also, um, I'm that torturous organizer that wants everyone to have a closed laptop and actually pay attention to the speakers. Um, <laughs> so I like the theater setting because I think that it makes people uh, pay attention more. Yeah. Is it difficult to find venues that have enough like theater seating for a single track conference. I know that's been a struggle with a few events, but I don't know what that's like in New York. It's actually not a problem in New York. I've had that problem in the Pacific Northwest in um, the various cities that we've run conferences. Um, finding a theater setting that isn't uh, 1,500 people. Um, so one of the things with the JavaScript conferences from the JSConf family that we're a part of is that we purposefully keep the size down under a certain number so that we have repeated meaningful interactions with our attendees. And so we actually don't want a, a thousand person venue. Uh, we cap it and that's, um, it's actually easier to find a venue that's 1500, 2000, you know, way bigger. Um, but there's also a price attached to that. Of course. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I would have thought it would be the other way around. You could find a ton of smaller venues and lecture halls and things like that, but not so much the larger ones. Yeah, but they're like uh, 70 people or less. <laughs> they're real. Yeah. yeah. Tiny, tiny. Yeah, when I when I helped look through some of the venues for Empire Days last year, like the sheer number of 500 person was actually surprisingly staggering. And then the even, even larger amount of incredibly large spaces was completely over the top. I, I guess that's what helps. New York City is basically a conference organizing on hard mode. <laughs> so, yeah. With, with Lone Star, there's really, I, I would love to say that there were lessons for Lone Star, but we got so extraordinarily lucky. We found uh, the Addison uh, Conference and Convention Center it was just this small, so normally when you think of like a city run or a city invested, uh, conference center or convention center, there's, they're usually like really big facilities that can house 10,000 people or something like that. Here we've got Addison, this small town, uh, or at least the borders are small. It's like in the kind of like greater DFW amalgam of the cities uh, that has kind of like this small conference center that can fit about 
I think the the fire code is like 275 in the building. It's got like a beautiful lawn and a theater attached to it. We got so incredibly lucky finding this place. And I think the thing that we got most lucky about was that we found it and it was within our price range and they weren't bending us over a barrel for catering fees. All we had to do was uh, cry a little bit when we paid the fees for coffee and that was it. Uh, uh, and it was great. And we were able to establish a relationship with them and just uh, kept going back to them year over year. We were able to get concessions whenever they started um, adding new policies. They're like, hey, listen, we've been here for the last four or five years. Um, you know, can you can you hand, uh, can you give us a break on these things? So, you know, working well for us. The one white whale that we always had is we always wanted to get there's the um, theater space next door. Uh, and the theater space next door is just this kind of like gorgeous uh, 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 community theater. And we always wanted to use that for like the keynote room or something like that. But for some reason, we would never find a time period where it wasn't booked at the same time that our conference was booked. So that was always the white whale we kind of never got to get our hands on. Okay. And once you kind of find these places, I mean, you're saying you, you lucked out on finding this venue. Do you tend to, to stay there year after year? Do you try and mix it up? Um, and that's a general question for everybody, of course. So, like, with us, yeah, we stuck there year over year because that, uh, by the time that the third or fourth Lone Star rolled around, organizing just became almost uh, kind of rubber stamp. Uh, just kind of bring out all the layouts from last year and rinse and repeat, which made life significantly easier. I know uh, with Empire, we use the same venue once or twice, but we're not using them again. Uh, it was nice the second time we used them, uh, but we still had to do a lot of work ourselves. And we just ended up finding, I don't know if they were available this year or not, Tracy. I don't know what the deal was on that one. The uh, Museum of the American Indian is what we do. I'm not a fan of that venue. We had actually gone back to it another year because we didn't have another choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's easy to go back to the same venue. I prefer it if it's the devil you know, but we it's a federal building. And because that, it like creates some added challenges like Homeland Security is underneath it. Um, and so there's just like a number of reasons why it wasn't great for us to go back to. Um, but it was nice because it was a nonprofit and the money that we, you know, put into it goes to another good organization. So that at least helped teach us that we would like to see our money go to a, a good place from one nonprofit to another. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a, too many messes, too many years. Okay. And um, what venue situation are y'all going for, Ian? So um, one of the so we we decided relatively early on that we were going to try to go for a multi-track format. Again, trying to replicate a lot of the things that um, we really liked about Lone Star, uh, and in the you know two hundred ish attendee range, um, getting a space that on the one hand provides enough uh, space in the quote, keynote room to house everybody and space to have lunch somewhere and space to have uh, your smaller breakout sessions. Um, that does limit things a bit. And you end up with some of these cool kind of downtown Austin spaces of which there is no particular shortage. And then you realize, okay, well, these are all 200-person spaces in one room. 
Okay, that's not going to work. All right, so let's look at some other stuff. Okay, well, we've got a bunch of hotels uh, around downtown and maybe not uh, as close to downtown. Okay, that, that's, that's cool. Oh, well, you have to spend 50 grand or 40 grand on uh, concessions, and they'll give you the space for free at that point. But at, at that point, you're talking about you know, $200 plus per attendee, maybe $250 per attendee. That, that's your ticket price right there. And now you have to find uh, sponsors to pay for uh, speaker travel. You have to find sponsors for absolutely everything else. And, oh, by the way, you also uh, want to book a block of rooms at the hotel. And, of course, the, the booking rate for those block of rooms is not necessarily any better than what I could get if I were buying a room uh, uh, just straight up. Uh, under a normal time period. So relatively quickly, uh, we decided to, rather than go with a hotel setting, um, say, okay, let, let's try and, and find something where the hotel, where the speaker hotel is happy to have us, but they're not the venue for the uh, conference. Let's just try to get those things relatively close. Again, King Off Alone started having a relatively neutral venue and then um, and then picking a hotel nearby and. Uh, kind of uh, going around that. We whittled it down to two venues uh, relatively recently. One was right downtown, which is great in terms of you can just go to the city wherever um, and whenever. However, uh, the costs of getting um, everything from parking to hotel uh, are going to be higher. And well, as a first year conference, uh, we want to make sure that we're not bleeding red ink. And um, on top of that, there were some issues with the space in terms of actually getting enough contiguous space to have something work. And in that case, we were looking at, okay, well, you can have a downstairs room here, a downstairs room over here, maybe split up and kind of go every which way uh, when you want to have meals great thing about them is they were willing to let us bring in outside food, whereas the venue actually we decided on won't. But, um, oh yeah, so your breakout rooms two and three are 16 floors up an elevator, uh, which it's like, there are always trade-offs like that that you have to make. Maybe we land there next year. But at this point, um, where we're going to end up, it's uh, relatively close to a bunch of hotels at varying price points. Uh, we're putting speakers up in a pretty decent hotel, and it's, it's a little bit of a walk to get to the venue. But in exchange, um, we've got enough space. We've got a space configuration that's going to work. Um, and we, we've got that locked down, and we can, given that, focus on making uh, the other aspects of the conference really great. And it's not a half-bad space anyway. Nice. Okay. Uh, so I want to kind of switch topics. We have a, a ton of topics here. I'm trying to get through them. Um, so one always kind of hot button issue with conferences is diversity, uh, codes of conduct, how to make people feel safe, how to encourage you know, seeing different faces, different voices at conferences, uh, both diverse people and, you know, not always the same speaker rosters, the same speakers you see everywhere else. So I'd kind of like to throw this out to the group because I feel like we'll probably have some people with the same responses. So really, whoever wants to respond first, and then, you know, let's just kind of take this as a, a panel discussion. 
Uh, so go. I believe it starts with the organizers. Um, so something that I like to coach for people whenever they're um, asking about starting a conference is that uh, diversity and inclusion in your community is incredibly difficult if it isn't represented at every level. So the organizers being a diverse group of people, uh, and that includes includes like the roles, like not everyone is a developer in their day job. Um, anything like that whatsoever. They don't even have to be tangential to tech. Uh, it's really helpful uh, at some point. And then um, that builds into a more diverse, uh, diverse speaker set because you have this varied level of perspectives who are potentially reviewing the talks. It's also a much more um, diverse network of people um, when you have that diverse organizer crew because so much about conference organizing is the networks that you have and build. Uh, and so, um, and then, you know, building up a more diverse speaker set and more diverse attendee group and making them feel really welcome. So, uh, uh, just real quick, I guess, uh, do you do anything specific to seek out more diverse groups? Is there any sort of particular tips or tricks you have there to, to kind of find some of those people? Where are they hanging out? Yeah. <laughs> Especially I, the, the non-tech people. I have a whole list. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's tough because it can be people who, you know, are like interested in um, expanding their skill sets. So they may want to be doing stuff outside of work, outside of development, or um, they may not be working right now and they would like to add this to their resume because they could be doing something like building out the marketing plan for a conference um, or working on copywriting for a conference um, or building up revenue by seeking sponsorships and making the ticket plan. Uh, and that's been really helpful for me because like something that I wanted to I've been wanting to do for years is found a company and it's really awesome when I've been managing multiple conferences outside of work I'm managing a fair amount of revenue so that's um, an interesting balance and I think something people don't consider but um, also from like the speaker side so when it comes to underrepresented groups wanting to be speakers um, you have to seek out individuals. So what we'll do uh, as a team, and we even talked about this tonight at our conference organizer meeting, um, was that we make a list. We make this like huge list of people that we're really stoked about and we wanna see them at the conference. We've heard about them. We've maybe seen them speak elsewhere or tangentially. And you reach out to them individually. You talk to them about how amazing they are, the projects that they're working on, and that you would love them to consider submitting a talk. So we still do an open call. We don't do um, invite. Uh, and then we go through that reviewing process. So then, of course, we also have a blind round of reviewing. Um, but then uh, running a, a blind round is also really tough because if you've been around the block as a conference organizer, you also know what projects people are working on. So instead, we call out biases. We mention if we know the person, if we've seen them before, for good or for worse, um, you have to call that out as a reviewer um, so that people know that uh, your review is biased. Uh, and then we'll talk about that. Um, and for whatever reason, it could be you don't like a person or it could be that you don't like React and you don't like that they're submitting a talk on React. Um, <laughs> so like, that's a thing. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, I've heard of people doing like blind, uh, processes and stuff like that, but it's rare to hear people talk about 
how they kind of combat those biases. Because of course, you know, if you're organizing a conference, you know, PHP, JavaScript, whatever, you know, you absolutely recognize what people are doing. It's very easy to pick out like, oh, okay, I, I don't know this person's name. It's not attached to the submission, but I know who, who submitted it. I know who this person is. So yeah, no, that's, that's a great tip. I mean, we're, we're kind of doing the same thing too. Um, <clears throat> we're curating our keynoters um, because we already have a uh, conference topic we really want to drive home. So we're trying to find the best keynoters possible who we know will bring those messages to um, our attendees. Uh, as far as our um, speaker set, we're going to do the open CFP. Uh, we plan on tweeting furiously at PHP women and um, a few of the other ones that we have written down uh, that kind of reach the broader group that the PHPC hashtag may or may not reach. Um, and we plan on going to the local um, underrepresented and diversity groups in town as well. Um, because at the end of the day, we're a community conference that we just like to do PHP. You know, I mean, a lot of PHPers like to do JavaScript. I don't, but a lot of people do, you know, so we got to kind of help each other out. Um, and so, you know, there's a ton of people who do JavaScript in this town. So we plan on going out and reaching out to them as well. Um, I think we're, we're definitely going to try and we are attending. Uh, we have one called Girl, Girl Geek Dinner, I think it is here in Nashville. And so I know at least one of us attends every month and we try and like make it known we're doing um, a conference here in Nashville that we're talking about it. We want people to submit papers about because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same kind of languages and same kind of problems. Um, in terms of diversity as a whole, you know, one thing I noticed, I think it was Ben who mentioned it uh, when I was trying to get a ticket to Laracon. He was like, you know, hit up the speakers because sometimes they have an extra ticket that you could um, bum off of them and just sit at their booth and represent whoever. And um, I remember I reached out to one sponsor and they're like, no, we're limited to just this one hallway. We're not allowed to go into the talks. And so that kind of bummed me out. And so it's made me, um, made me sit in stone for our sponsors that if you get three tickets, if that's your tier, I don't care what you do with the other two tickets. If you want to do diversity, we openly encourage it. We'll help you out as best we can. Um, and we're including that in our sponsor perspectives, like use these for diversity if you want to, however you want to. We don't, we want to see a, a better diverse crowd coming in here. And we plan on with some of our sponsor money we've already gotten, we plan on setting aside at least 10 tickets. We're just going to send to various groups and say, Hey, here's a free ticket. However you want to raffle it off. You do, you do that. And, we just hope to see him at the conference. Um, one thing that I first started seeing uh, EmpireJS do, uh, do whenever I came up here was the uh, diversity ticket, which is basically a uh, double price ticket to the conference, um, especially which is really great for those people that work at companies that really support them with conference budgets and like they don't need to uh, they don't need a cheap conference. Double price the ticket, and you use half the ticket cost to pay for the ticket of somebody else, and then you run your kind of either your scholarship initiatives or your partnerships with um, any of the girl benefit or any of the uh, kind of um, local groups that you might go to. Um, I really, really like uh, seeing that done. Yeah, we actually offered um, we offer scholarships to attend um, because we try to keep our tickets to around $300, but that's still prohibitively expensive for a lot of people, even locals. And then if you're also adding in any sort of travel and hotel, that's just so much money. Um, so we provide scholarships for our conferences and that 
has a scholarship application process. And so uh, that does focus on diversity um, applicants. And um, I was getting yelled at in prior years for trying to uh, put too much of our budget towards scholarship applicants. Um, and we had to figure out a way to pay for it. So we ended up doing the diversity uh, enthusiast ticket that Dan mentioned. And then um, we've also built it into our sponsor structure. Um, and so we actually have uh, the ability for uh, someone to be able to sponsor even more people to come um, and also pay for some to travel in. Because that's one thing we are. We also consider ourselves a regional conference, all the ones that I do are. Um, and so we want to make sure people can attend. Yeah. Okay. I've seen, um, yeah, specific Northwest PHP has actually taken that uh, diversity ticket um, and used actually that specific name for it um, in uh, promoting their conference and, and getting a diverse uh, pool of attendees on their side as well. And they've, um, the, they've obviously uh, worked to, um, well, the, their speaker lineup is 50-50 men and women, uh, which is uh, fantastic. And it, it's, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how, um, how those initiatives kind of revise the makeup of, of their conference. And um, I'm also looking forward to getting uh, the sponsor dollars on our side to, uh, to support those initiatives on our side because you're right. It, it's even at the quote community pricing level that we're looking at. Um, not everybody can show up, and we we want to make an accessible conference for uh, for all groups. Now that does mean that I have to get out of my uh, introvert shell here and attend more meetups uh, because uh, to to put it bluntly, both the um, awesome PHP and to an extent the uh, Laravel meetups are not. The normal cast of characters there is not terribly diverse, and that's that's a failing rather than uh, of the groups. And um, hopefully, maybe even putting on this conference and attracting folks from not just those little silos, but the more general community, both here and regionally. Uh, maybe that'll bleed over even into the meetup of of having um, a. a more diverse set of view, viewpoints and more diverse set of people showing up at the meetups and the conference. So yeah, and I'm kind of sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to address that last thing. I don't. Okay, so I don't like organizers making excuses for not having a diverse conference, but I also like to say that those who are trying should not beat themselves up. It is a very different uh, level of strategy to get a diverse conference in New York City versus even like Seattle or Portland, because the city makeups in terms of demographics are very, very different. Um, so that's something that I like to say is there's just a lot of complications around that as well, thanks to like city history and the way people have established themselves. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of people kind of beat themselves up over the fact that, you know, they don't have great diversity numbers and things like that. And I honestly think a lot of them don't actually consider the demographics of the area that they're even holding the conference in. You know, they're looking at the broader community picture. Um, and I, I tend to think that if, if you're making an effort, that's better than probably 75% of the groups out there. Like it's, it, you can definitely tell when people actually put some effort into that. Um, and it's starting to become more common, uh, still not as common as people probably would like to see. <laughs> and 
you know, going back a few years now, DrupalCon Austin um, did a a pretty decent job at, at pulling in uh, folks of all stripes, uh, so to speak. Um, and that was not just from a demographic perspective, it was also from a uh, skill set perspective. Yes, that may be easier when you're a CMS conference than, uh, than if you're a relatively specific language uh, focused conference. Maybe it isn't. Um, but um, I'm, it, it'll be interesting to see where, where we fall on that. But I'm, it certainly won't be uh, for, for lack of trying on our side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's kind of uh, touch on some of the, the code of conduct things, because that's kind of a hot topic, particularly in the PHP community, but it's not specific to the PHP community at all. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent on the one hand, like I love the idea of here's what we'll tolerate, here's what we won't tolerate, here's what to do if you need help. And I think that's an important aspect that's kind of left out of several codes of conduct. Um, at the same time, nobody wants to show up and be greeted with a wall of don't do this, don't do that. It's kind of off-putting in some ways. So we'd love to hear about everybody's approach. Uh, kind of so, an ended question. Yeah, um, this is uh, a topic that's fairly near and dear to my heart because uh, Lone Star was, uh, at least I'm proud to say, one of the earliest PHP conferences to adopt. And that was a interesting time period in everybody's life. This was like the year after the PyCon incident. So that was a, a, a heady time. Or actually, no, it was the same year as the PyCon incident. It was a heady time. Uh, my perspective as a conference organizer on codes of conduct is, well, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives on them. There's the, it's a list of here's what not to do. It's a list of whatever it's likely it to be this. A code of conduct, once you strip everything away, as an organizer, to me, a code of conduct is first and foremost a reminder to myself and the rest of my team of the power that we hold, of the responsibility that we bear for this event. Um, I have, we have, as part of Lone Star, dealt with situations both with and without a code of conduct. And without the code of conduct, one thing, one thing that I find most common when I talk to people is like, I don't need a code of conduct. I will just make sure that everybody's excellent to each other. I will go in and I will step in and, um, you know, I will step in and make sure that, uh, uh, everything, you know, goes okay. And you tell yourself that when I'm in this situation, I will definitely act this way. And I can tell you as a voice of experience, when you are in that situation, you do not act the way that you hope you did. And the very first time that we had an incident happen and we didn't have a code of conduct, we did not act in the way that I would have been proud to say that we act. We did not act that way. We felt paralyzed. There were some problems, despite the fact that this was our conference and this is our group of people and our baby that we present to the world. We actually felt kind of hamstrung to do the things that we needed to do. And so when we looked into the codes of conduct, it became both a reminder of our responsibility and, if anything, kind of something to reinforce ourselves. When something happens again in the future, we were able to lean back, at least for ourselves, not necessarily as an external weapon to go, oh, I'm kicking you out because of the code of conduct. It was more of a reminder for ourselves that, yes, I can make the decision that I know I need to make with the full confidence that everybody was aware that I could make these decisions and everybody was aware that I would make these decisions. The code of conduct is a signal. I have the power and I will execute the power. 
which are the exercise of power, which kind of leads into the second half that a lot of people have been talking about with code of conduct. It's meaningless without enforcement. It's meaningless without you actually applying the code of conduct. And it's not necessarily applying the code of conduct. It's protecting your conference, protecting your attendees, and protecting the legacy that you want to leave behind. And that is like the thing I find most powerful in the code of conduct is, is a signal to the outside world. Yes, it kind of reads as a little bit of negative. Yes, there's a little bit of a, oh, if we're all adults, we don't need this. But frankly, the code of conduct is not for, frankly, the code of conduct is not for say Ben. I know Ben is not going to do anything completely ridiculous. And the things that Ben does is stuff that we'll make fun of him for later, but on the scale of things, completely innocent. The code of conduct is for two people. It's for me to remember what I'm allowed to do to protect my confidence, my conference, and the code of conduct is for that first time attendee, or maybe that second time attendee that is like, I'd really like to go once or twice. I've had a bad experience somewhere else that I had nothing to do with. I had no relation with. It was a bunch of other people in a place that I'm not from with people I didn't know. But because of that, they're not sure. And that code of conduct is a signal from me to them saying, hey, listen, I've got your back. So that's my take on the code of conduct. I don't really know how you follow that up, except um, when it's time to put our code of conduct out there, Dan, I'm going to have you review it um, because it, that that nails it. We're we're not in that. We're not there just yet because uh, we're still very much in the beginning stages of our conference planning. But um, it's already been discussed amongst the group as a thing that we know we're going to have. We know it's going to be there. Um, Fortunately for me, I've never been in a code of conduct situation. I've known about quite a few of them, um, including some very big ones that I was stupid or smart enough to like get so drunk that I had to walk away because I couldn't stand and I missed all the incidents. Um, but when it comes to code of conduct time, it that if there's anything I'm going to reach out to previous conference organizers about, it's going to be code of conduct, how to handle it the best way possible. Um, and going forward, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's tough because I feel like everybody kind of in this situation could benefit from a, here's what happened and here's what we learned from it. But at the same time, you can't necessarily share that knowledge because of the nature of the sorts of things that are happening So it, when with code of conduct violations. I feel like Adam Culp does a really good job of this with Sunshine. I've seen him do this at least the past couple of years, I believe. Yeah. Or after the conference, he just did kind of the blog post on laid out, not in any gory detail, not mentioning any names, but just saying, hey, we had three instances. These are the steps we took to resolve them in a very high level. Uh, and it, it feels very transparent. It, it makes me feel good as a possible attendee that he is addressing the concerns. Uh, it definitely lets you know, too, that he's going to act on it. So, like, it's not just a piece of paper. It's something that Sunshine PHP is going to take seriously. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like he did a really good job with that, but I've also seen others that aired too much on the side of like revealing too much or too little. Uh, so it's, it's a very thin line. If you do too little, it makes me feel like you're hiding something. If you do too much, then it's like uh, it's almost kind of creepy for everyone involved, right? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting with codes of conduct because I'll hear a lot of times where people, they're not bragging, but they're saying like, oh, we didn't have any incidences. And to that, I generally like to say it's likely that no one reported. Um, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, it's very unlikely that like nothing happened because generally speaking, a violation is anything that makes someone else feel uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that it requires law, you know, legal action or even like kicking somebody out of a conference, but um, it can still be a chat. And because uh, the whole point of codes of conduct is that they're supposed to be teachable moments where community members are able to learn and continue to coexist. Um, in, a, in an extreme situation, it, it is something that needs to be handled immediately because there is, you know, physical things happening. And um, part of that, like pulling back to the idea of diversity in your organizer set is that at a conference, the people who um, are going to report are going to report when they feel something bad has happened to the people they feel comfortable reporting to. And unfortunately, in my experience, I found that it is more likely that the, those who are URMs, unrepresented uh, minorities in tech uh, on the organizing team are the most likely to get reported to. Um, and so it's good because then you can, as a person who everyone is able to voice to, then you can get the other team members in um, and, and act, right, on the reporting guidelines that Dan brought in, which is, you know, not just the code of conduct, but the teeth of enforcing it. And then you also have, you know, that great mechanism for being able to not make that uh, moral decision on your own, which you should never do or have to do. I've seen... Um some conferences, what they do when their um, organizing staff isn't as diverse as that is they will uh, um, introduce uh, either kind of like an outside reporting. So part of the code of conduct is here's the, here's the person that you can report to that is completely independent of the organizing party as well as I've seen a lot of people um, start uh, Brooklyn JS and I believe uh, we have Empire. Uh, a phone number that's set up uh, against Twilio that just kind of like any message that goes to that phone number gets blasted out to all of the organizers is kind of like an anonymous reporting. So it's a bare minimum you're aware of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so one of the things that's kind of on that topic is uh, something I've had conversations with people about, uh, especially with international conferences, was, hey, you're, you're taking a big step to travel overseas or out of your country, or even for people that are traveling you know, outside of their maybe hometown for conferences in the States. But it, it feels like a very vulnerable place, especially to maybe go overseas. And so the code of conduct really just gives you that extra feeling of safety and security that the organizers are going to take care of you. Uh, and it might not be much, right? But any little bit helps if you're really out of your element. And not everybody travels a lot. Not everybody's extroverted. Uh, so it can really make a big difference for a lot of people. That's actually a, a sidebar moment. I've heard from several different people that um, don't travel well. Um, one thing that um, kind of either makes people who don't, especially people going to a foreign country, things that make them nervous or things that they feel uncomfortable in, just through no fault of anybody's own but just the situation, is um, offsite events, um, especially if you're bringing in a lot of foreign people or people from not in the country, they feel uncomfortable going to offsite events and not really related at all to the code of conduct except tangentially, um, but something that I, I've become over the last couple of years keenly aware of is like um, offsite events, leaving the venue, events that normally would be fun, like we're going to go to this place for the speaker dinner. There are speakers that I know of within the PHP and the JavaScript communities that are like, yeah, I've never been in this country before. I'm not traveling that far away from the venue. I'm just like, and it's nothing to say against the place that they're at. It's just a, 
I'm an introvert. I don't like going out. I don't feel comfortable. It's not a place I'm familiar with. And I'm not comfortable in places I'm not familiar with. Did you mention that those were sometimes surprise venues? <laughs> do not do that. The people will do these things with conferences where they're like, we're having like a hip secret party after the conference. Turns out a lot of people are like super not into that idea of like mystery party where they can't tell people where they are <laughs> until they get there. But that's not a I'll be honest with you. I'm the kind of person that has to uh, plan excessively for where I go. Um, um, I have to plan excessively for where I go. Um, and I have, I joke with people that I have contingencies for my contingency plans. So yeah, anytime somebody says, we have an event at this time at a secret location, I'm like, nah, I have an event at a place where I know where I'm going. I hope it's the same place because I'm going down to the hotel bar. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up, because um, I feel like there's probably all these hidden gotchas and things that you don't expect to come up like that. Um, I've heard stories of people being basically being put on a bus to be taken to like a speaker dinner, had no idea where they were going and things like that. Totally happened before. Um, are there any other sort of like surprises or gotchas or things that you that came up that you maybe didn't necessarily expect or things that you've seen people do that were just kind of like, why, why are you doing that? Um, just throughout the whole process, whether it's organizing or actually hosting people or anything. Don't, don't try and give away a kitten on stage. <laughs> Wait. Okay, I feel like that's an so, interesting story. I, I think I read about this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't at one of my conferences. Um, there is a conference that was trying to do a good thing, I believe, in promoting adopting animals from shelters. And they brought a kitten on stage, and I think had like either the MC didn't get the notion or thought it would be cute to be like when a kitten um and so for this very large conference a lot of people were like you cannot give away kittens at a conference that's a terrible idea um yeah i think that's one of my faves i mean i think personally i would like that but it also feels <laughs> really kind of mean right yeah yeah i feel like peta peta would go or was it peta yeah would go after you for that yeah. Like the bright lights of the stage, the kitten is traumatic. Well, and like sure. what happens if someone says no? Like, yeah. <laughs> then you have a kitten that you have to unload on somebody, and that just seems like that's all kinds of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Good intentions will really tank you as a conference organizer. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I think it's the, uh, uh, it kind of becomes the, uh, uh, the principle of least surprise. Um, the more predictable you can be to your attendees, the more you can give them kind of like safety, soft trouble zones, like a kitten, all of a sudden being given a kitten and being forced to tell several hundred people that you don't want a kitten who are probably going to go up to you and start yelling at you or at least be nervous about that is kind of like definitely not approaching that. Uh, um, the after parties was something that we spent a lot of time on at, at, at or at least I spent a lot of time on at Lone Star. And yeah, those are, there's, there's some innocent gotchas. Like if you start your after party 30 minutes at the end of the keynote, there will only be your speakers at the after party because all the people who live at your local conference will see the venue. Um, Ian, that is my strong suggestion to you. Start the after party 30 minutes before the end of the keynote. Um, we learned that the hard way when we had a really terrible after party. Um, but you know, people, people in general, they'll make their own decisions. They have things that they want to do. Just like give them the opportunity to do it, 
in a place where they know that they're allowed to do it. They know it's coming and they can adequately prepare for it, especially when they're around strangers. They don't know. Yeah, I think surprises in general at a conference are just like not. It's just tough because you're managing expectations for so many people and you don't know how people respond to that stuff. Um, I think the other that's another rule that I have because we always have MCs. Uh, for our events and uh, something that I very strongly warn my MCs in preparation for the event is that they are not to surprise speakers uh, with anything uh, when it comes to questions, especially like if they're going to be, you know, jovial and asking questions on stage and getting along with the speakers, they need to do their homework because I have seen and it has happened. Um, MCs ask very unfortunate and untimely questions that are actually really tragic uh, to the speakers while they're on stage. And it is, um, it was heartbreaking. And one of those things where like from the side, you can just say, look, um, but it's just really sad. Like you don't want, those are the kind of things that are like, again, good intentions, but like surprises are just not in the cards, I think for events, unless you're like giving away an iPhone to everyone. I don't know. Once you once you put on a conference as an organizer, the one thing that you want to avoid the most is surprises. So yeah, just in general, just no surprises. As an organizer, I want no surprises. I want everything to go on. I want to be bored by the end of the conference because nothing happens. Surprises are, was it the, the old Chinese proverb, maybe you live an interesting life. <laughs> well, the opposite of that. Uh, so, like Matt, has there been anything like as new organizers that have surprised you? Anything that's been either interesting, fun, difficult? Um, you know, interesting wise is the community response. Um, from launching our Twitter to gaining a lot of followers really fast. To uh, one of the first people to reach out to me was Adam Colt, giving me advice. Um, unsolicited, just hey, here's a Twitter message, followed by five more Twitter messages, followed by five more Twitter messages of advice and i was like that's dope he's a good guy um that's been really awesome uh yeah it's, it's been really fun um i'm hand rolling everything for our conference um cfp and everything i know grumpy will hear this and tweet me horrible things at some point but you know i just feel I'm like yeah exactly yeah i mean why not why not just have some fun and build things right like that's what developers like to do we like to build things so yeah, that's been fun. Uh, the interesting part is um, how expensive it can be. You know, I had no idea. And of course, living in Nashville, as of last year, we had the highest priced hotel rooms um, in the United States. And we we're number four in the world, um, price-wise. That's really surprising to me. It, I mean, you think so, but then you come down here on a Monday night and it's Bachelor Party Central and everyone's out partying. And it's just, it's the cool place to be, I guess. Um, so that, that's been interesting, and the logistics have been um, interesting to deal with, with the food, uh, the CFP, and gaining all the support. But, you know, I mean, I, I, this is one of the funnest things I've ever done, and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. What about you, Ian? Any surprises? Uh, not particularly yet, other than uh, realizing how much uh, hotels charge for uh, their catering stuff and in general uh, realizing that the catering side of things is definitely a profit center for venues um, and if a venue doesn't have that there then their rates reflect it uh, we're fortunate here that um, if we time things correctly uh, we have enough kind of concentrated large events 
that there's enough, for example, hotel stock that as long as you're not um, booking your conference around uh, South by Southwest uh, or Austin City Limits or you know, even Formula One won't do it. But um, as long as you're not booking those uh, same times, then it's a little bit harder to wind up in a situation where it's like, yeah, there are no venues, there are no hotels. Uh, by the same token, um, there's when you whittle down, for example, the venue list and re- realize, well, we're going to have to make some trade-offs in terms of, uh, yeah, folks will have to walk a little ways to the venue or um, that sort of thing. It's, it's interesting to navigate through those decisions. Um, that said, I think the, the surprises, we've got a ways to go between now and the conference. I'm sure stuff is going to crop up. But uh, as Daniel said, as, as we draw closer to the conference, hopefully things get um, more boring rather than less. Uh, and uh, we're able to put on something high quality, uh, get enough sponsors, uh, get enough folks attending excited. Uh, get a wide variety of high quality speakers and um, and make sure that those things and then um, kind of where the rubber meets the road and, and everything else about the conference is uh, really solid. So nice. uh, looking forward to making that happen. Cool. Okay. Uh, so I think we'll try to wrap it up with this next one. And this was um, pretty much directed probably at just you, Daniel, maybe you and Tracy. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd like to hear some of the differences between organizing PHP and JavaScript conferences. I've been to uh, a little each, and in my experience, JavaScript conferences just have a, I don't know, a very different feel than PHP. They they kind of don't take themselves quite as seriously. They seem to have uh, like shorter talks. Uh, but yeah, I didn't mean that as an insult to PHP conferences. Uh, I love yeah. them both. Um, the audience. So the most I've been able to tell, I've been going to JavaScript conferences for a little bit now. Um, and helping organize them do the meetups. Um, but obviously my, my first foray was into the, uh, PHP conferences. I think the bulk of it boils down to, so like, just like you said, like in my experience, PHP conferences tend to be, you've got 40 to 50 minute talks. We're going to go in depth on this detailed subject. We're multi-track because we need to go in and like get as much information out as possible. And it feels almost like a work hard, party hard kind of situation where you go in and you put in your time in a conference and then you go to the keynote and then you go to dinner and you go to the after party and you go to sleep and you wake up. And it's it's an experience I enjoyed. It's not to say anything negative. And in the JavaScript community, it's a little bit like less work hard, more like I want big ideas. I want to come here to feel excited and feel inspired. And I really don't want to sit through kind of like a deep technical uh, technical talk. So like the talks tend to hover around the 20 to 30 minute territory as opposed to the 40, 50 hour long territory. And I've been thinking about that a lot because like I enjoy both. But like if I plop a JavaScript person in a PHP conference, halfway through their first talk, they're going to be clawing their eyes out going, can I please go somewhere else? And if I take a PHP person and drop them in a JavaScript conference, it's going to be like, why did I pay Three hundred dollars to be here. I learned absolutely nothing. And what I've been able to boil down to is kind of the interesting differences in the community. JavaScript people tend to uh, JavaScript developers tend to come from a little bit heifer of an area. Tend to come from startups. 
tend to come from the actual technology industry. Uh, whereas PHP developers, while there are PHP developers in the actual technology industry and startup industry, a good chunk of them are coming from local IT shops, companies of a thousand, two thousand employees with a ten to twenty person IT team, and they've got two to three developers working on an internal uh, um, kind of like intranet application. And the only way that they can get their boss to pay to go to the conference is to say, I'm going to learn something very specific to my job. Whereas uh, companies sending the JavaScript developers, if they I really want to keep this JavaScript developer. How do I keep a JavaScript developer? I don't know. Send them to California for a couple of days to go to a nice conference, and maybe they'll come back and stay with us. Kind of that uh, that difference. So it was it was kind of fascinating running the boat. The the, the feedback I get. I tried to the last couple of years, like having started going to JavaScript conferences. I tried to bring some of that. I want to sit here and say whimsy um, from the JavaScript world into the PHP world. Some of the more uh, the traditional word we use is soft talk, but um, I've kind of started preferring to referring to them as just non-technical, non-programming related talks of things ranging just interesting subjects. Maybe at the bare minimum uh, for people who go to conferences regularly, you know, like here's a talk or two that maybe you'll get something interesting out of, even if it's just a tidbit of history. What's interesting is I find the feedback from those talks uh, tends to be a very, oh, it was a nice talk, but I didn't get a lot of code out of it, and I didn't really see a lot of uh, um, kind of like intrinsic, I didn't see a lot of like concrete value out of the talk. Whereas like you do kind of like a traditional PHP talk in the JavaScript community, a JavaScript person tends to be, the feedback will tend to be, it's like, that was great, but maybe it was a little long. Like I could have read most of this in a blog post. I just wanted to know why I should go out and talk to it. And it's really fascinating. I think there's things that each side of the uh, of community can learn from each other, but I think it just really kind of boils down to who's even showing up to these conferences in the first place. And I think it's that kind of like recognition of your audience. Where are they coming from? Why are they even there in the first place? You know, uh, the person coming from the the large-scale IT intranet, you know, like they really need to learn some technical stuff. Great. I'm going to plop some really smart people in front of you and you're going to learn some things, but we're also going to go to a random non-technical and we're going to go to an after party and we're going to play some board games because just because you're a conference doesn't mean you have to be working 24-7. Not everybody is Rob Allen. So. I, uh, I personally would love to see PHP conferences do more of that. Like, not necessarily a whole conference of it because like you said, I think PHP developers would feel uh, not quite satisfied with that. But, you know, maybe two a day or something of the shorter, more fun, here's something cool, here's something funny something exciting mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, Tulio is another conference that seems to do that well. They mix in a lot of fun things along with the deep technical stuff in their conferences. Yeah. Uh, it just yeah. it kind of breaks up the day a lot too. Like I, I skip a lot of talks, yeah. like especially being on the speaker circuit a lot. Like I don't need to see, you know, yet another way to do the new cool framework. Right. So, yeah. but those JavaScript ones are kind of always fun no matter what. I think it's a little bit harder. Um, I think the difficulty that I found with Lone Star trying to integrate this is, when you have a multi-track conference, nobody has to, even if somebody says, I'm going to watch, I'm going to spend all of my day watching talks, they don't have to. The problem with multi-track is especially somebody with that mindset, I'm here and I've got to learn something. You, you want to sit this person down and be like, yeah, no, 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 I'll teach you something. But like, you kind of got to enrich your soul a little bit, like see something fun and take a break. It's a really hard proposition when you're like, 
yeah, no, 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 this is a really fun talk. It's going to be really interesting. It's kind of non-technical and it's something that you're not going to have to worry about for several years, but it's still interesting. Like, yeah, no, that's great, but there's a, you know, mid-level PHP unit talk in the next room over, so I'm going to go to that because I can see many value. I think that was uh, the tough thing that I found with Lone Star was because it was multi-track, it was really hard. Uh, so I was trying to pull that off with keynotes. And that's something that PHP conferences have been doing okay with, is using the keynotes for that opportunity. Um, I've liked, there are some conferences I've been to that do um, two keynotes a day. I've seen opening and an ending keynote. I've seen a lunch and an ending keynote. And I think, especially for multi-track PHP conferences, I think that's um, a good forward opportunity for them is to be like, you know, hey, as you're plotting your keynote, go way out there. Like, just completely way out there. Even further past, like, you know, Anthony's Future of PSP Talk, which is a really great, inspiring, and go even further past that, just straight out of nowhere. I will say, just be prepared for the, I think, uh, for the new conference organizers, I think one of the best and worst parts of running a conference at the very end, collecting feedback and having to sift through feedback at the end of it. Like, it's really nice, like, oh, they loved it, and this person hated it, and they're never coming back, and I don't know why. Oh, well. Yeah, and on the uh, keynote side of things that you mentioned, I've, we haven't nailed down specifics of speech or speaker uh, scheduling yet, but um, as somebody who's probably attended more conferences as just plain old attendee than I have a right to, uh, the, uh, the approach that Sunshine took uh, and has taken a few years in a row now of either like a morning of the second day or uh, after lunch and then evening keynotes each day um, does allow for kind of tying in the entire attendee base and providing those attendees are kind of risk-free way of saying, no, we're, we're going to actually focus on uh, a more inspirational talk rather than um, saying, well, I'd love to, to attend the inspirational talk, but I, I don't want to miss this CI talk over here because I really want to make my life uh, less horrible at work. Um, and uh, another thing that I've seen with, um, actually with PHP Tech uh, in particular is they'll have uh, like a pre-lunch 30-minute conference talk slot where that gives you a different uh, a different speaking format versus your standard 50 or an hour um, talks. And it, you're absolutely right. Certain uh, different formats lend themselves to, um, uh, to uh, different types of talks. And um, you, can, you can reset expectations for at least part of the conference uh, and give... Folks, not only uh, a learning thing, which um, uh, I I will go to a conference knowing, okay, I, I'm looking for a lot of stuff to uh, get my learning on, but um, have mixed in there uh, more inspirational stuff where uh, you can, where you'll you'll have a more memorable experience down the road, I suppose. Yeah, and no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I always appreciate when people have. Um yeah, I hate to use the term soft talks, but uh, just non-technical things. And even if it's something I've seen before, there are some talks that I can see again and again because they're just so great. Um, so, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, right. So, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say thank you to everyone that joined us tonight.
Really appreciate it. Uh, one last thing I do want to end with is that Longhorn announced their Kickstarter. And so anyone that wants to see that come to fruition or even wants to get an early bird ticket, definitely check that out. We will throw a link up in the show notes. Yep. It, um, you can throw a link to the directly to the Kickstarter, but it's just longhornphp.com. Uh, nice little bare bones website there uh, where you can click right through to the Kickstarter. Um, and we have a few more super early bird tickets, uh, that, uh, we're selling at a price low enough that I was arguing back and forth with other organizers, whether we should do that. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, look into those and, um, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, kind of, um, picking up and, and making, uh, an awesome conference for this region. All right. Uh, go check it out. Thanks everyone. Have a good night.